Hello, and welcome to this week's look at action and stunts on film and TV. How are you? Um, I wanted to talk today, if I may, um, in connection with the sad passing recently of Robbie Coltrane, um, who not only was in the Bond pictures, but also um, in Harry Potter. And it struck me that actors and characters are all shapes and sizes. Now, to accommodate this, the stunt performer must adapt through costume, through added um, layers to the costume, allowing him or her to appear larger. Old days, in the old days, in order to look bigger, you'd have perspective shots. We've talked about this before. Sets built up in in um, such a way that the character would look bigger than other characters. The Hulk TV show is a good example of these type of shots where you have many shots of the hero or the villain, depending on how you look at it, the green monster. Lots of those shots from below, making him look more menacing. Now they eventually employed stuntman Manny Perry to double Lou Ferrigno in the longer shots. But if you think there's another Bond connection here, because you, can you imagine what might have happened if they'd used Richard Keel, who was originally cast as the Hulk? in some of those early roles. I mean, they, they, he's seven foot two and they would have had to go to extraordinary lengths to um, find or create new perspective shots that would make that work. Richard Keel, of course, went on to the Bond movies and stuntmen Martin Grace, um, Paul Weston and Ronnie Luganbill all managed to convince the audience of additional size without additional padding. As I mentioned at the top of this, Robbie went on to become Hagrid in the Harry Potter films. Now, Robbie was six foot one and had to play a character who was eight foot six. You don't have doubles that big. The production team had to employ a rugby player, ex-rugby player, um, I think now, maybe still being a rugby player at the time, Martin Bayfield, who was six foot ten, and with additional lifts, was able to double Robbie um, in shots where he wasn't available. He's doing dialogue on one stage, and they need Hagrid to walk with characters off in that direction for perspective shots. You have the small or the, the, you know, the standard size uh, actors here, and then you need Hagrid uh, in foreground with them. So those were the type of shots that would have been used. Stunt coordinator Greg Powell had also stepped in and doubled Robbie Coltrane for the motorcycle sequence, Deathly Hallows Part 1, as did stuntman Matt Sterling. And what I'm driving at here is that None of these individuals are particularly big of frame or in weight. 
in, in certain cases, it's a bonus. It means that the costume may fit you better. And certainly I know Greg Powell has mentioned that in the past. Um, that he was an ideal choice. Obviously he knew about motorcycles, had a great deal of experience on motorcycles but was able to fill out that costume because he's in the in the sitting position on the motorcycle and the motorcycle's slightly smaller again slight perspective change just to create additional size uh, the passenger Harry Potter Mark Maley who was the double there uh, Mark is quite slight of frame and again the two next to each other and it works you know, it's very important for that to work. But when you're asked to wear a costume or wear padding that will make every standard movement difficult, it will um, deter you from being able to get the job done. Uh, the simple case with Hagrid is there wasn't a you know obviously there was special effect shots and CGI which allowed the motorcycle sequence and various other bits and pieces standard movement could be covered uh, by people like Martin Bayfield for instance as we've mentioned before but there wasn't such a thing as running I didn't see a great deal of running going on if there was then it would have been one of the doubles but if you were provided with a costume and you have to go from this point to this point and there are wires involved and there's a whole bunch of other different technical areas that are provided for you it becomes very complicated and you have to think about it in a very different way where you would normally walk from point A to point B or run from point A to point B you are in a costume which restricts your general movement to accommodate this, traditionally, you move in a different way. Now, to give you some idea of what I'm talking about, uh, there will be a great many of you here who will have worn flippers when you're at the beach. I don't know if you've seen it recently. There's a wonderful um, skit that's going about on Instagram of a guy, and he, he runs in varying styles seen this already but there's a guy and he's doing this he's running wearing different types of footwear um, there's the standard running shoe there's the carpet slipper there's the Wellington boot um, and there are flippers now he's being able to do it but he's having to really lift his knees much further than he would normally do in order to be able to get the flipper down so he gets some purchase to push with the other foot to get the next flipper up. It's a very complicated procedure to explain. But if you look at it, you'll see what I'm talking about. That is the type of thing I'm referring to. When you walk in flippers, you have to bring your knees up much higher than you would normally do in order to put them down again. Now think about that for a second, because if you are a average height um, performer, and there was a time when your average height would be five six five seven. Now your average height is probably five nine, five ten, maybe five eleven as an average. 
which means that in these um, costumes, and I will use Martin Bayfield as an example, he was six feet ten. That's very big. Now he is portraying eight feet six, and he has the lifts on in order to create relevant movement you have to be fairly comfortable in that you have to be able to uh, and allowed to go around and adjust um, Gary Powell had always said that he was really grateful to Simon Crane because in certain situations like the uh, the Q-boat for instance in the world is not enough or the tank in uh, in Goldeneye he was allowed uh, by 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 Simon and by Jim Dowdle to just go and play with it. Go off and play with it and find out what you can do. And then come back and we go, oh, you can do this, lovely. Well, how about we use that? That's the key. Now, in a similar situation with this, you now have to be in a situation where you can move relatively freely because you've been away and you've practiced and you've got it down to not an art form, but something that looks fairly fluid those mo movements don't look as though they're forced they look as though they are normal standard movements but you had to work additionally hard because firstly your footwear they're built the, the shoes would be built up to such a point that you have to walk in a very unusual way and you're trying to mimic the character which means you're upper body then has to move in a particular way. You have the wig, you have a long beard and you're having to become the character and that's the key to a lot of these performances is that all of these individuals and we've talked about it before but it's absolutely essential becoming the character that you're portraying and in certain cases becoming the actor becoming the character. So what you're doing in this instance, and what these guys are doing, they are watching uh, Robbie Coltrane walk in the costume. And they're trying to picture that in their own mind, and they're, they're doing it themselves. Maybe they're taking time out to study some footage of him moving, and they do the same thing. Mannerisms. Something. Something that will just allow the camera and the audience watching to go, oh yeah, yeah, that's Robbie Coltrane. W without question. They're not going to question it at all. They don't need to question it. And I imagine, and I know that there are a couple of sequences, um, uh, for instance, by the train, when Hagrid is waving off the children back on the train on, on in a couple of these movies, that's not him, that's Martin Bayfield. But it is convincing enough because Martin would have studied the movement and probably, you know, as, as a, a number of people have said over the last couple of days uh, since uh, Robbie's tragic death, they've, they've said, you know, we'd ask him, it, it, you know, we'd sit around and we'd talk and he was very funny, but he would also allow you to you know, ask him questions about this and that and that, that thing you do. Oh, yeah, well, that's a thing I used to do. And, and, and all of a sudden you, you soak that up like a sponge and you start to develop your own way of being able to move like the character. So things have changed considerably since the 
the 70s and 80s where they were using perspective shots and where they were using different camera angles to to create the images that we see today whereas now these are very real they're done right on top of the camera and they're done in such a way that the changes will only be able to happen afterwards in post the CGI shots go in in certain cases the old ways are still the best um, I'm trying to think of a movie but there was a movie where the actor two actors walking beside the, uh, each other and one was considerably taller than the other one and that James Stewart springs to mind Jimmy Stewart springs to mind it could be a Jimmy Stewart story walking next to an actor um, and obviously Jimmy Stewart much taller than this other actor and in the film they are walking together and they are at eye level and that's simply on the basis that Jimmy Stewart was walking effectively in a trench that had been created and the other actor was walking at a slightly higher level so their eye level would be together well nowadays CGI can rectify that and there are, there's a great deal that's relied upon. But in order for that to work, everything needs to be done for real. And that means that the doubles, the stunt performers, need to adapt their performance to create the right feeling that will in turn convince the audience that that's the actor playing the role. So it's a very interesting scenario. And of course, the other occasion, if we if we look outside of the Harry Potter pictures, uh, and again with uh, with uh, Robbie Coltrane, uh, was the Bond film "World Is Not Enough." Uh, Franklin Henson was doubling him in the caviar factory sequence. Of course, running around, the driving of the car, and more importantly, that final sequence where he falls into a vat of his own caviar. Not the most pleasant. Of situations, seeing as it wasn't caviar, it was something utterly terrible. But it meant that he had to create the walk, create the run, create that whole Robbie Coltrane experience. I think Robbie, maybe at his largest around the Cracker period, which was what 1992 93 time, um, would have struggled to have done as much physical action as is possible but certainly um, in, by the time that World Is Not Enough came around in 99 um, he'd lost some weight and uh, was obviously very uh, much happier with, uh, with his um, physical situation and, and consequently Franklin had to, uh, had to double him for all of those ex uh, exciting sequences during that, that battle but again when you look at the footage, majority of people go, oh, that's the stunt double. But some of those sequences aren't. You know, some of those sequences are Robbie moving from place to place and, uh, and Franklin just coming in for a few frames. And that's where a great deal of, of the success of, of this type of work comes from. So adapting the scenario and once being told, oh, you're doubling Robbie Coltrane, um, you have to look at the suit that you're wearing and obviously he would have been wearing the same costume and under that he would have had some padding in some shape or form um, 
which would have simply packed out the costume. It's not there from a safety perspective. He's chancing on he's going to be wearing his own padding anyway. Um, should there be any issues, and maybe a dry suit underneath that as well, so that there's absolutely no fear of any of that shocking gunk falling into, um, uh, getting next to his skin, you know, and, and uh, possibly having some sort of reaction to it. Um, so anyway, that was was the point of, of, uh, of mentioning this. Robbie Coltrane being a, a, you know, much more than just a larger-than-life character. We've seen a lot of the footage that people have been putting up over the last couple of days, and um, he's an extraordinary character. He will be missed greatly by um, film and television fans the world over. And um, luckily we have his television and film performances to look back on. Um, without it, it would be um, a very difficult time. And I assume that that's what his family would be doing. Um, they will have that to to remember him by, and I know a great many of the um, the stunt performers who have worked with him, who have doubled him over the years, feel exactly the same way that a huge void um, has appeared in their lives uh, since he has gone. And uh, we pass on our condolences to his family and his friends, and anybody who has worked with him over his career. from Palm Springs reporting for Embassy Sports of America. 22nd set of start of the 31st party of race on a hot side. 